Momentum, helping men succeed in life. Welcome to this week's Momentum. It is uh, Tim and Des with you once again. Des, it's good to be back for another great show. How are you? I'm great, man. It's great to talk to you. It's really cool. Now, look, um, we have uh, a very special guest again with us who was on the show a few weeks back, and we had such a great response, and it was such a great conversation. We brought him back to follow on a bit of the story. Uh, Ian, thanks so much for joining us once again. Great to be back. And... Ian, we talked with you uh, previously about uh, a role that you've had and it involved a lot of PTSD and we had a lot of feedback from listeners saying that they could relate and they loved the show and they loved your story and, and how you balance an actual practical journey with uh, doctors and, and medical people but also a relationship with the Lord and, and how your faith kicked into some of the healing as well. And uh, we just want to say, listeners, if you haven't heard that original uh, story, it is available on the website and you can check it out and hear the podcast as well. But we want to follow on from that today. And Ian, we want to start the conversation by saying, I suppose, you know, we, we talked about the end result and the, the PTSD. Let's talk a bit about the journey that led you there and this feeling of being of being lost. What it was like to then, I suppose, start the acknowledgement for you that you were on this journey of depression and PTSD. So let, let's go back to that point. What, what was the first moment, I suppose, that you you fully realized that, hey, something isn't quite right for you here? Um, that's a great question because that was actually the longest time frame, the longest stillness I've ever actually had in my life was actually that very question you've just asked because what I, when I first came home, I um, was not feeling much at all. I was quite numb. Um, I wasn't uh, relative to a lot of people. I wasn't able to communicate very well because uh, I was not in a um, a place of being able to listen to people. I was in a place of still telling people what to do. So I wasn't in a receptive um, frame of mind. So when for me to understand where I was at um, it took actually quite a long time because it was I couldn't understand why people were all a little bit crazy. Everyone else was crazy, not me. Everyone else, uh, all the their, all the issues that were happening in the world were because they just didn't understand. It was uh, it was my way or the highway. Um, I I had no interest in explaining to people how I felt um, because I actually didn't know how I felt. I I liken it to a bit like being stuck in the middle of a marshmallow, if you can call it, liken that. It, it was felt life felt very spongy, uh, unresponsive. Um, if I moved to the left or to the right or forward or back, it just felt the same. There was no difference. There was no sort of emotion attached to anything. It just felt like I was stuck in the middle of jelly um, and just existing. So there was no – now we could talk about that and look back and go, well, that was probably emotional numbness yeah. and that was my, you know, uh, depression and things like that. You know, a psychologist would probably listen to this and sort of say, well, yes, that's depression and so on. Um, but at that time, when you're in the middle of it, of course, as as – all of us can probably relate to that have been there. Um, you can't see that. You don't know that. And I was in a position where I was unable to communicate that with people because I was not really um, able to speak about what my work was or where I had been or what I'd been doing. So um, I was in a bit of a predicament. I didn't have a whole bunch of friends that I could relate to and talk to. Um, so it took me a long time to realise that I actually had something wrong. It wasn't everyone else that had something wrong. So there'd be a lot of people... Uh, listening in who would uh, identify with that in terms of you know where they are in their world you know they they they're feeling the same sort of things that you 
didn't feel, mm. if I could put it that way. And so, you know, they may be listening today and they're saying, you know, yeah, I can relate to that. Mm. Uh, what would you say to those guys just about being in that space? It's on the verge of being surreal. It actually yeah. feels like you could be in the middle of space and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And I don't think it takes my career. I, th- I think people of all walks of life can have this sort of feeling yes. and emotion. It, yeah. it is not minus a particularly different sort of career that I had to a lot of other people, but the feelings that our, we can all go through are very similar yes. and relative. Yes. So I, I just felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. So different triggers... But the same end result. Oh, of course, yeah. yes. So, I mean, we're all the same sort of people. Yes. Um, so I certainly have different visions and memories compared to a woman who's suffered childbirth. I'd never be able to experience what she's mm-hmm. been through. I mean, that's the most amazing thing ever, but, I mean, I would never be able to experience that. Yes. So I could never relate to her. Yes. So yeah. everyone has their own way of, or what they've been through, their own way of processing. But for the vast majority, what I have learnt is that, um, it is a, um, a, a self-learnt experience of um, being able to reach out. You have, to, you have to be able to grab onto someone. You have to talk to someone. In, just to put this into some degree of context, you were married at this stage and, and did you have kids? No. So you weren't married, you didn't have kids, you had nobody in your world really that was able to speak into that space or come and give you a tap on the shoulder and go, hey, mate, I feel like there's something off. You know, I feel like there's something wrong. There was nobody in your world at this stage that w- was kind of coming into your space and telling you this. No, I had um, – I mean, it's, it's not a sob story. It was just my situation um, because I was not uh, eligible for any assistance from the Australian government because I was under the – I worked with the US government. Um, there was no joint forces assistance. So basically everything that I did, I had to um, self-fund and look after myself. So um, – I had to uh, uh, proceed with my own treatment um, and my friends who I worked with, the uh, troops that I had, uh, the ones that were still alive um, were either in theatre or they had all gone off grid. So um, I didn't have a large, a large group of yeah. workmates or people to um, chat with. So, so what was the moment then? Because obviously you, you said there you felt like you were in, in a marshmallow, like everything's numb. You, obviously you reached a point in yourself without somebody bringing that to you. And, and, you know, for some of us, we would have people around us who might give us a nudge on the shoulder or a tap or sit down and have a conversation with us and go, hey, I think you might need to go and see someone. You didn't have that. So what was the point then for you where you came out of the marshmallow, if you like, and went, actually, what's going on here? I feel like something's wrong. I, um, I was unable to um, find a way through anymore. Now, that's a very general way of putting things, but I was so used to self-checking myself checking on my men, making sure everything was how it should be. But my self-checking, I was unable to process any further as to why I would be, I was being angry. I wasn't feeling sad at all. My overworld, my overruling emotion was anger, uh, as it is when a lot of things are wrong in your life. Um, so I was angry, 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 and I thought this is just not normal for me. It's not right. Um, everything is okay. I had cash at that stage. Uh, I was in a good position. I could have done whatever I wanted, but I just was absolutely miserable um, and couldn't find joy. I think that was the thing. Like I actually couldn't laugh. I actually, I was actually unable to laugh. Wow. I couldn't laugh. You could tell me the funniest joke. You could have tickled me, and I wouldn't have laughed. I would have taken a swing at you to tell you to stop tickling me. Wow. So I actually had the inability to laugh uh, and uh, find joy. It had absolutely been beaten out of me. 
Wow. It's so dysfunctional from the way God created us to be. Mm. Yeah, it's, just, it's amazing to hear you say you talk about your world in that way. It had been completely squashed and darkened, mm. it didn't, and um, I was unable to find humour wow. at all. So again then, Ian, what, what was the thing that brought you out of that space? What was the, the starting point for you, the recognition to go, actually, this is not normal. Uh, how I'm feeling and, and the way that I'm responding right now, this is not me, and I need to go and do something about this. I... Um I went and saw um, it uh, in Brisbane, in Queensland. There, there's uh, the Keith Payne unit, the Veterans Hospital, and I went and saw um, a doctor there. And I thought, oh, I'll just go check and see how things are. You know, I'll just have a chat with someone um, and just make sure that I'm not completely sidewards and I'm not going to nick myself or something like that because you just don't know. And um, I went and saw him, and he wanted to admit me straight away without me leaving the the ward. So he wanted. He said, "Look, um, I really need to keep you here." And so that was a big wake-up call for me. Um, uh, obviously, I didn't let him because I was too stubborn. And um, But his intention was for me to stay there and to medicate me immediately. He said I was at an extreme level of um, uh, hypervigilance. I was, a, I was at pretty much burnout. He needed to strap me down sort of thing and destabilise me. That was his impression of what needed to take place with me. So what does that actually I mean, you, you, those words I don't quite understand in terms of how they would relate to me as an individual or any other man as an individual. How does that? How does that play out? Oh, I felt broken. Yeah, yeah I, I felt absolutely useless. I felt uh, like I I had created myself to be rubbish. I had burned myself out to be absolutely useless. So I was no longer, um, I needed prescription glasses. So for me, that's non-operational anymore. So you're no good for me if you're a troop and you need glasses or hearing. So you, so in my line of work, it was you're non-operational. I can't use you. You're, you're, you're no good for me. You're not a good tool anymore. So your eyesight's not as good. It's not how it should be. So I ruled myself out. I'm no longer operational. I'm, I need glasses now. I'm getting on. And now my head's screwed up. I'm, I'm no good for myself for what I used to do. So I'm no good. Yes. So then, of course, so you have no no value. Well, I, I just yeah. fueled the depression, didn't I? With yes. that sort of that Best spiral thinking. that I was on, and then with that newfound information, I just went on a um, an absolute deep and dark. I'm absolutely pathetically worthless. Then, oh, of is yeah. there a need to even be here, sort of thing. So, um, because that's someone validating something I didn't want validated, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which was yes, you do have something wrong, which I didn't know. I just didn't want someone to tell me. So it's so totally two ends of the spectrum, in a sense. Like when you were operational, to use your words, you know, you controlled everything, including yourself and everything I around knew what you. what was going control, on. Exactly. Yep. To the point now where you had no control. I didn't know no what was going on. Exactly. It was confusing. Wow. And then being in a depressive state of worthlessness at the same time of not knowing what was going on or what was going to happen was a complete mind shift. You're 100% right. Mm. It was not um, – so for me to be able to process that – well, actually, I was unable to process that. Yes. So I uh, um, put it into a little box and put it into the man brain, <laughs> into the deep back dark room and yeah. didn't process it at all. Yes. I just thought, well, no, I'm not going to do that right now. It's the same as I don't want to process that trauma right now. So I'll put that in the back of the head. Yes. So I put all those little things in little boxes at the back of the head yeah. and started thinking I have control again. It's uh, all okay. I'm uh, getting control okay. again. Everything's all all right. I have that problem in that box. I know where it is when I want to deal with it. This is Momentum with Tim and Dez. 
This week, we're talking to Ian about his journey of healing after a career spent working with the US government in conflict zones. We've spoken to Ian previously about this work, so if you'd like to hear more about Ian's story, listen to the podcast on our website. That's MomentumAustralia.org. What I did uh, for a career over 14 years, as my current psychologist says, is something that um, I basically bastardised my own morals. I basically tortured myself. She said, you just, you just did it so long that it became a habitual way of thinking and living for you. So to unpack that was always going to be a long journey. Yeah, That was just my situation. So um, it was about four to five years. I, I tried a couple of psychologists um, and tried to form a relationship whom I couldn't because not many could understand where I was coming from. Of course. So I would go and see uh, military personnel and they're used to working with people who are in formatted, formatted military units and their discussion and language was different. Yes. They weren't used to talking to people who were in an autonomous small teams unit. Okay, who had right. had a variance of experiences, where um, so the language was different. I know it might sound a bit weird, um, but the language is different. Once again, I think it's that language barrier of I you, I would not be able to relate to a woman giving birth. Uh, I, right, okay, I, I okay. could I could sympathise with her, but I've not been. I couldn't actually relate to what it would be like, and that's what I found it was like talking with people. Like I'm, I was talking to them, and I'm going. I know. You want to help me with my situation, but you have no idea what I'm talking about or what I've been through. Ian, tell us a bit about your, your day-to-day existence during that time, because there, there'll be people listening that, that like you said, they'll they'll have some degree of trigger points. It may not be the same experience, but when you're living with that degree of trauma, when you're living with that degree of anxiety and PTSD, um, and you're, you're feeling, to be honest, like nobody's really understanding where you're at, you're trying to get help, but nobody's really connecting with you on that space. You're also stuck in the cycle of depression and, and this sort of thing. What's your day-to-day existence like, and how did you cope with that? Um, alcohol and lonely. The lonely part I was used to because that was my head and my lifestyle and that was my work environment. Um, I had my work colleagues. I had my um, I had my troops when I was working in the field, Um those guys, were, it was the best time ever with them. However, on my own, lonely. Like I, once again, I'm back at that. I felt like I was in the middle of space. I could have been anywhere. It didn't really matter where I was. My self-worth was nothing. I wasn't thinking about me at all. Um, my, I, did, I would sleep normally two and a half, three hours a night. Now I'm probably sleeping probably about four to five hours a night now, getting a bit longer. Um, uh, drinking a lot back then. And I was uh, trying to numb myself, self-medicate, as, as a, lot of, a lot of us do, uh, from the constant triggers that were happening for me. So once again, in my situation, um, my triggers were all during the day. So I don't dream, I don't nightmare. They happen during the day. So I can have anything up to 15 to 20 happen during a day, daytime, while I'm talking and awake. Um, I'll have my flashbacks and they'll all come back to me and they'll run in themes. So depending on where I am, I'll, um, if a baby cries, then all of a sudden I'm stuck on baby themes and, and unfortunate images and, and whatnot over the past. Um, so in the early days, that was horrific, guttural. I'm not quite sure how to put that into words. Um, people that uh, have, are in that situation or have been in that situation would know, um, my psychologist puts a word on it, despair, um, but it was like a guttural loss. I've, it just felt like you were sucking my stomach out 15 times a day, like I'd lost everything. Um, it was absolutely um, horrific to the point that it almost made mm-hmm. me feel sick. 
Like I would, my body would react horribly. Um, and I would just have to ride that wave, unfortunately, back then. To clarify, at this stage, did you have a faith or did that happen along this, this journey for you? No, I, I was out of faith by that stage. So I was not talking, I was unable, well, I couldn't communicate with people so that would understand why I wasn't communicating with God. Let, let's talk about how faith then impacted you because I know we, we touched on this in the first episode with you, Ian, but let, let's bring the walk of faith into that with you. You're going on this journey and you're starting to see some degree of breakthrough, but tell us a bit then about your reconnection with God and, and how that helped you on your journey. Oh, well, that's the magic. Um, that's 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 <laughs> that's the chocolate on your Sunday. That was it's, I was. It's good to see you laughing. I know, right? So that was. Um, so this was the the icing on the cake. So obviously, you know, we're not going to do something that that we want to do. He gave us free will, yeah. And, yes, and we're of course. we're clumsy nutbags, you know, mm. us humans. You know, if we're going to stuff it, we'll, we'll do it. Yes. Um, but the thing is, is is if you're not ready to take a step, well, then you know, the, if you don't knock, it's not going to open. So I was in the position where I um, I took myself off to church. I thought, I've got to go back into church and see if I can walk into this joint. You know, wow. Am I going to get hit by a lightning? Is he going to yes. walk me back? <laughs> oh, all the silly things, you know. Um, actually, I actually in my head, I thought, he's not going to want me back. I felt dirty. Um, I, I, I felt um, filthy. I felt vile. I felt like a mass murderer because yeah. I'd lost count of how many um, deaths I've been involved in. Yes. I, 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 didn't, um, I actually didn't want to walk in. It actually felt quite weird. I actually felt embarrassed, like yeah. to present myself back to his is church. Is that because you thought everybody would know who you were? No, 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 no. I was completely anonymous. So yeah. I, I, um, I was. I don't have a fear of man. I still don't. Yes. Um, but I, I, I have a very healthy fear of God. Yes. Uh, and then I didn't. I felt embarrassed to go mm. back in front of him again. Yeah. I felt like a flippin' naughty little boy, covered in dirt and mud, to present myself back. I really shouldn't go back. How did that then impact your life, Ian? Obviously that would have impacted your life, but tell us about then the next few weeks and months following that. How did that moment transform what was going on for you then? Yep. Um, So I didn't start into my Bible. This magic trick didn't happen where all of a sudden life was just grand and everything, um, everything went smooth sailing. Um, It was, it was still a hard slog of being honest with myself where I was at. And however, what I had uh, open to me now was the ability to hear God and to talk to Jesus and to say, look, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. You know, I'm freaking losing it here. This is nuts. Like, this is this is stupid. It was my own fault what I did. I went over there. I did what I did. I can understand that. But if this is how I am now, then I'm not good for anything. Yeah. And it was the sheer fact that I could then hear him and with him saying, um, look, I'm here with you. No matter what happens, we'll be here day by day and we will walk through this. I kept doing that. So I just kept doing day after day and I just kept walking through day after day. I I look back now and and that's why I need to serve him so badly. My yearn to serve him is in thanks of of gratitude for not just who he is and, and what he did, but the sheer fact of how he communicated with me and me being able to save myself and, and be with him. This is Momentum with Tim and Des, and this week we've been talking to Ian about his journey of healing and restoration following a career that left him with severe PTSD. We continue the discussion with Ian next week, and don't forget you can catch up with all the episodes on our website, MomentumAustralia.org, or via the Momentum podcast at Spotify, 
Google or Apple by searching for Momentum Australia. For more information, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org.